we are uh, taking back up in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be finishing out the chapter this morning. And as you can see, we're, we're right on the verge. Chapter 5 is, you know, come next week, and we're into the Beatitudes. And so it, it's neat because to, up to this point, you know, there's been very little actually Jesus speaking, but we're actually getting ready to come into several chapters of it's the Lord sermonizing. And so th- there are so many just spiritual truths to be you know, applied to our hearts and our souls and our lives. It's amazing. But today we start with, you, you can see it if you've got the, you know, the red letter Bibles and all that, uh, there's two phrases that the Lord is going to be speaking uh, directly to us this morning, and um, they're powerful. They're powerful messages. And so um, we're going to be digging in there. But just as a quick review from last week, you know, last week we talked about temptation. Last week we talked about, you know, and there's the differences. You have the spiritual temptation, you have the physical temptation. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, we talk about spir- spiritual uh, temptations. Sometimes those can come in the form of physical things like lust and things like that. Yet it has a different ramification because it is something that is causing you to directly fall away from the Lord in your relationship. It, it's something that comes between you and the Lord. And so it has a spiritual ramification to it. And then there's other temptations like, cheating on your diet and things like that that are purely physical and they're not necessarily sinful whatsoever. But what we were just kind of touching on uh, in the text last week is that oftentimes we practice, we encourage our ability to fall and to fail and to come into temptation because uh, when we're tempted in these daily things, you know, oftentimes we just give into them, give into them, give into them. And so we practice it so well that when it comes to a spiritual temptation, it's just like, oh yeah, you know, I do what's second nature to us and how our flesh doesn't care whether it's a physical temptation or a spiritual temptation. Our flesh just wants what makes it feel good, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And so Jesus, he was taken into the wilderness. He was taken into the wilderness and it was a work of the Holy Spirit. The Lord sent him there to be tempted. And that needed to happen because Jesus himself, in Hebrews it talks about him being a faithful and merciful high priest and that you know, he had to be tempted in every way as we are so he could understand. Because how can God, God, understand what it is to be obedient? How, how can God understand what it is to be tempted? Well, he can't. And so God, in order to become a faithful and merciful high priest, allowed his son, Jesus Christ, who is God and man, to be tempted even as we are in every way. And we saw that it wasn't just you know, on the last day, on the 40th day of the fast, but in the Luke text, it actually shows that he was tempted throughout the whole fast. So he knows what it is to be tempted uh, when there's no real temptation. It's only our desire that leads us away. He knows what it's like to be tempted when the bite and the sting of a fast or of denial hurts and it costs something. And he knows what it is to be tempted when not giving in will actually end your life. He knows every spectrum of it. And so he can come and he can comfort you and I, and he can minister to us in that same way when we find ourselves in those same places. And that's beautiful. And it was, it's after that. Like, you know, this is the thing. This is the turning point for all of creation because now Jesus, you know, he has, the, the Holy Spirit has come. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. The, the Holy Spirit has lighted upon him and stayed upon him. He has been tempted by the devil. And now the ministry begins. Now the Lord Jesus Christ comes out into the people, into the populace, and he begins to reveal the kingdom of heaven. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning. Why don't we go ahead and take up at verse 12, and we're going to complete the chapter, and then we'll come back and uh, dig in. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Lord, we praise you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for these verses, which our God-breathed, inspired, and profitable in all ways for everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, we pray that you would just open our eyes to these truths now. Lord, that you would minister to our hearts to help us understand and know. Lord, we just give glory to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it says, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And I want to just stop and and comment on this for a few moments, because, you know, you have this this man, John the Baptist, and he, you know, as Scripture declares, he, as Jesus himself declares, he is the greatest of all the prophets. And what what was John? You know, who was he? Was he some big fancy guy dressed in, in, in princely robes and all that? No. Jesus comments on that himself. You know, what was John? John was the predecessor of the Messiah. He was a man who denied himself. He denied, you know, all of the pleasures and pleasantries of life. You know, he wore camel's hair, which I don't know if you've ever pet a camel, but it's kind of not the softest skin, right? It's not exactly a comfortable kind of thing. You know, if, if you're going to be going, you know, to Forever 21 or, you know, Needless Markup or someplace like that, you know, you're not going to find a camel hair jacket, okay? Oh, if you do, it'll be like, wow, that's kind of weird. Maybe in the 70s, but not so much now. Okay, you know, but but that was John, and he and he wore a belt, and and you know he didn't come to Jerusalem. He didn't come to the to the center of uh, the religious life of Israel. He he didn't stand among those people and debate with the rabbis and the priests and the scribes. He didn't do any of that. He was a man who was led by God. He was a man who heard the voice of his Messiah and jumped even in the womb. He was a man who denied the pleasures of this world that he might be a faithful minister of that Messiah. And so he came down to this place called Bethabara. It's it's the place where the Jordan pours into the the Dead Sea. And there he was out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere. And he began a message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was a man who was strong, wasn't he? When you think of John the Baptist, you don't think of some like little you know, weakling. He was a man who had scruples. He was a man who had character. He was a man who was not a respecter of persons. He wasn't somebody who, who was overly you know, consumed with, oh, I wonder what they think about me. Oh, I, I wonder if, that, if what I'm going to say is going to hurt their feelings. No, no. He loved the people. D- don't miss the mark there. He loved the people because his message was a message of love. Repentance is a message of love and hope. And yet John, there he was, he, not a respecter of persons. He didn't care what people thought of him. He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't you know, so interested in, oh, you know, this is a fly shirt, and man, it's great, it's awesome. Oh, look at my shoes, man, my kicks are sweet. are sweet. He didn't care about any of that. He's like, you know what, a pair of sandals and a camel's hair coat, that's good enough for me. I like bees, so I'll eat some honey. I like bugs, they're kind of fun. I always liked them as a kid. Well, they're tasty too. And so there he was, John the Baptist declaring, preparing the way, making straight the paths for the Messiah, preparing the people's hearts for that Messiah. And he spoke about righteousness, didn't he? He spoke about righteousness. He, he, he never withheld that. He never withheld uh, declaring the truth. And, uh, well, people didn't like him for it, did they? And he was thrown in prison. Later, we'll see that uh, because of Herodias, as she ends up asking her daughter to cut off his head, Daughter dances for um, Herod, and there you go. It's done. Okay? John the Baptist. Well, 
he was a messenger of the kingdom of heaven. We saw that in Matthew. This is the only gospel where that phrase, kingdom of heaven, is used. There's the kingdom of God. It's mentioned throughout the rest of them. But you know, this, um, this phrase, kingdom of heaven, is, is squarely here. It's only here. It's the only place in the Bible that says the kingdom of heaven, that phrase. And John is a messenger of that kingdom. He is a messenger of the king of that kingdom. And he is declaring the message of heaven. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's on the very door. It's about to cut, walk through. Here it comes. And the people didn't like that. Herod didn't like that. And so they took him and they threw him in prison. And now you have Jesus says, because th- this is, the, this is the, the deciding moment. This is the moment. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, right? that was the thing that set his next move. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And, you know, Jesus will actually make a spiritual principle of this later. We see it oftentimes about uh, not casting your pearls before swine. Now, have, have you guys ever, you, everybody I'm sure here has heard that, yes? And have you ever questioned, like, what exactly does that mean? It seems a little harsh. I thought we we're supposed to minister to people and things like that. And now Jesus is calling this person a pig? Like, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? Well, here's the thing. Is Herod going to hear? If Jesus you know, did miracle after miracle in front of Herod, would Herod hear? No, because Herod has his belief system, and his belief system allows him to take his brother Philip's wife, and he has no problems with it. And so when the truth comes, John the Baptist was one preaching truth. He's like, what do I do? Well, I get rid of the truth. I, I get it out of the way. Herodias didn't like the truth, and so she killed the truth in her life. And so Jesus, what he does here, it's like, okay, you won't hear. I will go to those who will hear. And I think many times we can spin our wheels in our walks, in ministries and things like that, that that we are taking part of, because what we do is we spend so much time trying to force people to believe. Anybody here ever, you had a family member who is like, who is maybe Catholic or things like that, or maybe even a completely different religion altogether. And you just sit there and you like have argument after argument after argument. I had a friend of mine uh, in Bible college, and he came from a, a very staunch Catholic family. And he and his brother would just, they would go at it. And he would come to the Bible college classes and he would just sit there and tell me about, oh, the latest argument between this and this. And we were just, we were just going over all this. And finally, I'm like, dude, you need to stop. You're like driving your brother further into Catholicism. It's like, you know, obviously he can't hear you right now. So it's not profitable. Stop. Don't cast your pearls before swine. And what that's saying, it's not saying, oh, that, oh, my friend, you know, he's this good and godly guy and his brother, he's a pig and Jesus has no interest in him. But in the same way that a pig has no care over a set of pearls, you get some nice fancy pearls. Some of you ladies have them, like the real ones that you bite and you know, oh, wow, those aren't plastic. Those are real, right? Some of you have those, but, you know, we hold these things as valuable, as beautiful as, wow, you know, look at this. They, They have worth. But you go to a pig and you say, oh, look at this beautiful set of pearls. And, and you throw them down before this pig to see what it thinks. What's the pig going to do? You don't even want to know what pigs do. So it's just going to walk right past them. They don't care. And if it's, a, if it's a wild pig, if it's a wild boar, it's just going to turn and it's going to attack you. You think, oh, hey, piggy, 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 look at this beautiful set of pearls. It's going to attack you, right? And you're going to run away you know, and you're probably going to be hurt. Okay, so don't cast your pearls before swine. And right now, right now in Jerusalem, in Judea, you have Herod. And guess what? Herod, he don't care about the truth. He doesn't care about the pearls of the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't care about righteousness and holiness, justice. He doesn't care. And so Jesus is going to depart. Not only that, but John the Baptist, you know, there he was in his ministry down at Bethabara, you know, baptizing people, you know, the baptism of repentance. And who else came? Now, you you had the multitudes, you had the people from all all of the surrounding area, people who were making their pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem for the temple and the feasts. But not just them, but the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees came down, those who represented the priests. They came down and they asked him, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? And he says, no, I'm not. Then they said, who are you? He said, I am the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the paths of the Lord. Right? He says, that's who I am. And, and these, these Pharisees and these scribes, they came. 
And there, there had to be something there. Like they were kind of like hanging, you know, kind of like on the coattails. They're, they're off in the distances. They're like the, the, the back row Christians. They're way in the back where it's just like, hey, you know what? I'm here, but I'm not really here. You know, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, John even calls them out and he says, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee of the coming wrath? You know, he's calling them out because they, they were, they were religious, sure, but their hearts were far from God. And though they came to the baptism of repentance, though they came to the edge of the water, they were completely and entirely unwilling to enter in. And so he said, brood of vipers, you who have poison, the, the poison of asps under your lips. You know, those you, you who, who aren't going into the kingdom of heaven, but not only that, but you stop those who would. He said, who warned you? And they, did they receive John the Baptist? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The only reason why they put up with him is because they feared who? The people. See, they were a respecter of persons. And they feared the people because the people believed John the Baptist to be a prophet. And so they didn't want to say anything against that because that would ruin their rep. That's all they care about. They, they, they want all the likes on Facebook. They don't want anybody to unfriend them because that's where all of their notoriety came from. How many people like me? How many people think I'm smart and clever? Right? That's what they cared about. And so, is that place, is that time, is that a place where the gospel is going to be fruitful? No. You have the government who is completely against it. I don't care about truth. I just want to do what I'm going to do. Stay out. Separation of church and state, baby. There it goes. That's not in the Constitution, by the way, in case you didn't know. And then not only that, but then when you talk about the church, when you talk about Israel and the synagogues, were they willing, were they in a place where they would hear the gospel either? And the answer was no. They, their hearts were hard. They, they, they weren't listening. Their, their hearts had become dull. They're, they're hearing, they, they, they have like, I, I don't hear nothing. Not a thing. And so Jesus said, okay. He says, I'm good. He says, the kingdom of heaven has come to you. The kingdom of heaven has been brought into your presence, and yet you would not have it. And so the kingdom of heaven is going to go next door. The kingdom of heaven is going to move on. And sometimes we can get so caught up in trying to force somebody to receive the king. Come on, the kingdom of heaven is right here. Come on, let's go. Don't you understand that we can forgets like, hey, but what about those who we do have ministry with? What about those who are listening? What about those who are interested? They need to hear. And so there's a time, and this is a hard thing to say as a pastor, but there's a time when you have to shake the dust from off your feet and move to the next person. You say, the kingdom of heaven has come. Your blood is on your own hands. You've heard. You know. And so now the kingdom of heaven is going to move on to those who are, who are receiving it. Jesus left Jerusalem, the religious capital of Israel. He left this place where Herod was you know, striking out at the kingdom of heaven. And he went to a place. Where did he go? He went to, uh, to Galilee. He went to uh, Capernaum. And when you think about this, this is, uh, this is the northern kingdom. Now, when you go back to your Old Testament, what do we find out about the northern kingdom? Were they very good and righteous people? Right? They had a lot of prophets, didn't they? They had a lot of kings. Were they good kings? No. Right? If you look at the, northern, or the southern kingdom, you look at Judah, right? there were some good, some bad. You go to the northern kingdom, there were none good, not one. And even though they had many great prophets, probably the greatest prophets, Elijah, Elisha, but it was because they were so hard-hearted. Right? They were so dull of hearing that the Lord sent these massive miracles to them. And so now you come to this place, and in verse 15 it declares, it says, The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And listen, to what it, listen how it describes them. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Well, that describes the northern kingdom, doesn't it? The northern kingdom, what did they have? They, they had the light. They had Jerusalem. They had the temple, the place where God let his name rest. And what did they do? Did they stay there? No, because they didn't like their king, because they didn't like you know, Solomon's son. 
they like, hey, you know what? Enough of that. We're going our own way. Well, Jeroboam, when he got there, he's like, oh, wait a second. He started thinking this whole process through. He goes, uh, the next feast, uh, everybody's going to go back to Jerusalem and they're going to see all their brothers and they're going to see the companionship. And it's like, uh, they're going to turn against me and they're going to kill me and they're going to go back to the kingdom. He goes, so I can't have that. So what did he do? He built two golden calves, right? Two golden calves. He says, these are your gods. Worship these. And he set feasts on the same times, the same dates that the feasts in Jerusalem were. And he literally played upon people's lust because it was there, there were uh, sexual connotations to those. But not only that, he also played upon their laziness. You don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem to, to meet God. You can meet God right here. Look, these conveniently located calves come and worship. They're made out of gold. They're pretty. Right? And, and so he did that. And so the people, their hearts, they turned away from the living God and they embraced darkness. They embraced darkness and they stayed in that darkness. They never got out. And so now you have this people, verse 16, who sat in darkness, but now they have seen a great light, the Christ the Messiah. He has come because those who should have known, those who had the oracles of God, the religious heart of Israel, right? That'd be like going to Big Calvary and, and, and Papa Chuck and all them. It'd be as if they didn't like, no, 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 no. We don't want anything to do with Jesus coming. Just get away. Right? And he says, okay, well then, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to just you know, go down the street to the people who are listening. Right, These people who sat in darkness, now they have seen the great light, the Messiah, the one who bears the truth, the one who is, he is the kingdom of heaven, has come. He says, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember when light dawned in your life? When we were sitting here and we were worshiping together, I couldn't help, I just started like kind of going back to that place. I went back to that place when light first dawned in my life. Do you guys remember how dark your life was then? Do you remember it? I, I, I remember, I, I, I literally called myself. I said I was the walking dead. I told my friends I was the walking dead because I had, and I named it, the emptiness in me. There, there was just that, I didn't know what it was. I tried to fill it with all sorts of things and nothing filled it. And I knew I was dead. I didn't care about my life. I didn't care about anything because I was dead inside. Nothing mattered. I didn't care about anything. And then, and then, in an attempt to destroy my wife's faith, I began to read the word. And light dawned. The Lord spoke, and light erupted in my soul, in my spirit. And I didn't need a preacher telling me, oh, do this, do this, do this, and here, here's your different ways you can go. It's like when the Spirit came, it said, repent. I saw my wickedness. I saw my depravity. I saw how dark I was. And the light hurt my eyes, and I was ashamed. And yet, when I repented, there was this freedom. There was this joy. There was this light. There was this... I don't even know how to explain it, but it was just, it was this joy. It was this deep-seated joy within my soul. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And this morning, I was, just, I was just thinking back. I was thinking back, and I don't like to do it very often because it's an uncomfortable topic for me to go back to who I was and remember that man, that man who died all those years ago. But it's like, you know what? I remember that day. I remember that day when the light dawned. When I, who sat in the shadow of death, saw the light. And it was a beautiful moment. And I, I love this. In verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Who said that? John the Baptist. So you think, whoa, 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 Jesus plagiarizing? What's going on here? Not really. Not really. Because obviously, th this is the message of heaven to this generation. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does repent mean? Well, actually, Apple actually got it right. Have you ever, did, do you guys remember their slogan where it said, think different? Right? Remember that Mac slogan that they did? That's exactly what repentance means. Mac, in a very uh, nice way, was telling people to repent. Repent from your PC ways. Come to Mac. Think different. Repent. 
But that's exactly what repentance means. It, it means it, it's two different words, and one of them is to to change, to turn, and, 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 like change direction. And the other part of the word, it, it literally just means to think. It, it, it's the thinking process. So it's not just like a you know, 180-degree turn and that's it. It is to completely change the way you think. Everything that you thought before is wrong. Turn away from it, and now it's time to, to think differently. And so John the Baptist, he came on behalf of Christ, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus, he continues that, and he says, yes, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Think different. Think differently, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, you know, this goes all, actually, it goes all the way back to uh, Abraham. You guys remember Abraham? We studied him uh, just recently. And what was Abraham? The kingdom of heaven came to him, didn't it? And the reason why Abraham, remember in Hebrews, it says that Abraham never went back to his old country because he was looking for a country of his own. He was looking for a city that has foundations whose maker and builder is God. He was looking for something else. He thought different, right? So he's looking for that place. And, and the message to Abraham and the message of his life is believe. Believe in the kingdom of heaven. It is coming because he lived in a time, he lived in a, in a culture where it's like, where is the kingdom of heaven? I have no clue. And, and, you know, the father of faith is one, you know, he, his life, his testimony is believe. But then from there you, you go to like, say, Mo, you know, and you had, you know, Isaac and Jacob as well. And they kind of continued on that theme, but then you go to Moses and what was he, you know, through him, he was be obedient to the kingdom of heaven, right? Because the, the schoolmaster, the law came through him and the kingdom of heaven you came into a much greater focus at that point saying, hey, this is the requirements for citizenship into the kingdom of heaven. Obey. Yet he couldn't do it, could he? And the, 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 the obedience to the law couldn't get him into the promised land. And then after him came the prophets. And the prophets, what was their message? What was the overall message of the prophets concerning the kingdom of heaven? Watch. Watch. The kingdom of heaven is coming. We know not when. It is a day far off. It, 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 it's, it, it's, we can see it, but it's somewhere off there. We don't completely understand it ourselves, but watch because it's coming. You have all of these references, all these messianic prophecies speaking of the Messiah who would come, who would rule, who would reign, who would establish righteousness and justice in the land. But they said, watch. And then you, you come fast forward and you come to this day when John the Baptist begins his ministry and he begins saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is at the door. It's knocking. The door is opening now. He is walking through. He is in your midst and you have not known him. That's John's message. The kingdom of heaven is at the door. And then you come to Jesus Christ himself and, and through his whole ministry, what does he say? I am the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has come upon you. And he had that conversation with the Pharisees when they were talking about seeking a sign. Oh, you cast out, the, you cast out demons by the power of the demons, by the devil himself. And he's like, a kingdom divided cannot stand. He said, if it, if it turns against itself, it's going to surely fall. He says, but if I cast out demons by the power of the Spirit of God, he says, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. It's here. The kingdom of heaven is here now here and then christ he is rejected people didn't want the truth they didn't want the kingdom of heaven and so they crucified him and he died and he was buried and he rose and he ascended and but what did he do he passed the baton on to his disciples to the apostles and they th their message as they went out into the world was behold the kingdom of heaven has come it's in past tense it's here now and they pass that on to generation after generation after generation. And guess what? We are in that lineage. They, we, we have a message to speak. See, the baton was passed from John the Baptist to Jesus Christ, and then from Jesus Christ to the apostles, and from the apostles to you and to me. And we have a message. Behold, the kingdom of heaven has come. The gates to the kingdom of heaven are open, yet they are closing, right? And the closer we get to the rapture, the closer we get to the end times, the 70th week of Daniel, 
those doors are closing and it will be as in the days of Noah. And you know, if you actually look at the dimensions of the ark and all of that, and you look at how many animals that they would have to put on there, you know, there was actually tons of room. There was a whole bunch of extra room on the ark. Why? Why did God give him the dimension? So literally there's a, a huge portion of square footage where there could be so much more in the ark that was, is completely empty. Why? I'll tell you why. Because when the ark was finished, the animals were loaded, there was a whole week where the door of the ark was open. Noah, the preacher of old, his testimony, God is going to judge anybody on the earth at that time if they would have walked up that ramp and into it would have been saved. But then when the wrath came, it was too late and the door was shut. And right now, we have a message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's among us now. And the doors are open. The gate is open. And today is the day of salvation. And if you're waiting, don't wait. Don't wait. Because that door will not always be open. It will close. And then comes the judgment. And you you can get saved in the tribulation for sure. That's an absolute but it's going to cost you your life to do it. You're going to lose your head over the deal. And I would say one thing to anybody who says, hey, you know what? I know about the kingdom of heaven, but I haven't decided myself. I haven't submitted my heart and my soul and my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have not been obedient to his word. I have not watched, and I'm not watching now, and everything has happened in the same way as it's happened for years and years and years, and I don't really believe the rapture is going to come anyway. I would say be careful because you will find yourself in the tribulation. And, and this is a truth that I absolutely believe. If you couldn't live for Christ, how do you think you will ever die for him? If you couldn't live for him now, and are we being persecuted? This is like a summer vacation. Are you kidding me? We live in Southern California, people. If you can't live for Christ here, I mean, we're not even talking like India and China and Pakistan and some of these like gnarly places where people are literally being like gutted for their faith. It's like none of that. None of that. You know, we live in this place where it's just like, oh, you know, you're not allowed to bring your Bible to school, you naughty child. We're going to suspend you. Is that it? Really? Oh, you're going to get fired if you talk to people about Jesus. Okay. That's it. But if we are waiting, if we are waiting for that day, it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm just not ready yet. Like, okay, the gospel will move on. It'll go to those who are ready now. But I'd say be careful. Be careful. Because if you won't live, I promise you, you won't die. It won't happen. And he says, so Jesus says, repent. Think differently. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's now. Guys, and you say, you know, Pastor Brian, you know, how, how can you say that the kingdom of heaven is here? You know, we look around, we look at our government, we look at, you know, all, all the people around us. It doesn't feel like the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know how I know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? You know how I know? Because I'm looking at a whole bunch of its citizens. If you have given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a citizen of heaven. And it's kind of like, immigration and in our culture right now illegal immigration at that you know the, the kingdom of heaven is invading this place this planet by conversion right that's what we are called to do and you know we are the living stones we are we are literally the the the, the stones that the lord is using spiritual stones that he is making to build us and set us in order to be his temple Right, Because the Holy Spirit lives within each one of us. That same power that raised Christ from the dead. He is living and dwelling within us. The kingdom of heaven is here. And you represent it to this world. To those who are seated in darkness in the shadow of death. The baton has been passed to you and to me. And we are called to take up that baton. We are called to take up that message and share it. Every one of us. And you say, well... But, but I'm not an evangelist. Neither am I. Neither am I. I leave that to Trinity. But I am called to do the work of an evangelist, aren't I? I'm called with the rest of the body of Christ, with the rest of you here this morning, 
I'm called to minister the gospel to all who are lost. And then it continues in verse 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I love this. I love this. First, the Lord says, repent, right? That's, that's the opening phrase of his message to the world. Repent, think different, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then what does he follow it up with? Follow me. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven has come. Now, follow me. Follow me. And if any of you guys like are on the Facebook, you, know, you saw my little teaser for the message today. But you know, really in the end, like you look at this, why in this order? Why not? Why didn't he just go around and say, hey, follow me, guys. Come, come with me. I'm going, to teach you, I'm going to teach you about the kingdom of heaven. No, he began taking up right where John the Baptist left off, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he said, follow me. Why? Because Jesus Christ, now you have to erase the image of the blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus with a little lamb around his neck. We've talked about that often, right? You got to erase that image out of your head because that's not Jesus. Okay, that's not him. That's the effeminate version that the Catholic church back in the dark ages made up, right? That's not him. Okay, Jesus was a rebel, he really was. And, and, and sometimes, you know, pastors will get really excited saying, oh, we got to be an extreme faith, an extreme congregation with like X games on the wall and things like we got to be extreme. It's like, but you know what? You really don't need to be extreme. You just need to be Christian because Christianity is extreme because Jesus Christ has and always will stand in opposition to a sinful and dying world. Right. You guys have all heard Pastor Chuck talk about it. Hey, any dead fish can float downstream right? But see, Jesus, he stands in the middle of the stream and he's fighting against the current and he's walking up against the current and he's making a lot of splashing all over the place, right? Jesus said, first you must repent because if you think like the world, then you are going to act like the world. And if you want to act like a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, then you must learn to think like heaven thinks. You must learn to think we must learn to think like the Lord Jesus Christ thinks. We need to love the things he loves. We need to be pleased with the things he's pleased with. And we need to hate. And yes, Christians are called to hate. We are to hate the things that he hates. Unrighteousness, injustice, hypocrisy. We are to hate them with a perfect and mature hate. Absolutely. First, we must repent. First, we must change our minds. First, we must change our whole way of thinking. The things that the world holds dear, the things that are counted as, oh, wow, that's an amazing thing. Oh, wow, that person's got it all together. Those things are an abomination to the Lord. We need to think differently. You want to think differently? Model your life after John the Baptist for a few weeks. See how that changes the perspective. Right? He wasn't about the shoes. He wasn't about the shirt. He wasn't about the car. He wasn't about the nice house. He was about walking with his God. Period. That's it. First, Jesus says, repent. Change your mind. Change your thought. Then he says, follow me. Now, that's a dangerous journey, isn't it? Follow me. Where did Christ go? Following Christ is not comfortable. Following Christ is not easy because he walked straight to Calvary, didn't he? Anybody like Calvary? It sounds nice when you call it Calvary, right? When you call it Golgotha, it sounds a little bit darker. Or if you call it in what it means, place of the skull, you're like, ooh. Right? Oh yeah, that's that place where God was murdered by his creation. Oh, and then you remember when Jesus said, hey, if you wish to be my disciples, he goes, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, in a sense, Jesus actually did take our cross, huh? That was the cross that belonged to us, to humanity. And he was crucified on it. And yet he says, I want you to take up your cross. 
I want you to deny yourself. I want you to murder your flesh that you might follow me. I want you to think differently, that you might think like me, that you might receive the mind of Christ, that you might represent the kingdom of heaven on this earth as you ought. He says, follow me. But see, here's the, here's the thing. You say, but, 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 yeah, I know. I feel that way too. He says, follow me. He says, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, any of you know anything about fishing? Uh, it's a dangerous pastime. Now, I'm not talking like going from the pier. and th- That's not that dangerous. You might get a hook every once in a while. Ah, watch it, lady. You know, kind of a thing. But like not, nothing real bad or anything like that. But for uh, fishermen, people who make their living fishing, it's actually a very dangerous um, occupation. And you guys, I'm sure you guys have all seen it or at least heard of it, like the deadliest catch, you know, the king crab fisherman. It's like, it's literally the most dangerous occupation in the world. Okay. A fisher. But you know, there's actually, there is a more dangerous occupation being the fishers of men, because to do it, you must die. One out of every one must die. You must die to yourself in order to be acceptable for use for the kingdom of heaven. And the people who you are bringing that message to, they'll many times hate you, and they'll want to kill you. They'll want to help you along with that murder process, right? And yet the Lord Jesus Christ says, hey, you know what? Right now, here you are, you know, Peter, James, John, here you are in your little sailboat, and you're casting your nets and things like that. He says, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. Because Jesus himself, he is a fisher of men. He is always seeking out for those he can get in his nets and bring in. Not so he can club them over the head and eat them, but so he can give them life. Right? And we are called to take up that very same um, occupation, though it may kill you. And I'm talking spiritual for sure, but I'm also talking in reality. What if you are actually called to be a missionary and you don't even know it yet? The Lord says, I want you to go to these people. And oh yeah, they will kill you. But you will save many. Would you do it? Hmm. Lot to think about, huh? But again, I say, if you won't live for him here, where it's comfy, cozy, you got the couch, you got the soft chairs, how will you fulfill that which he has called you to then? Can't. But I love this, verse 20. They immediately, you hear that? They immediately left their nets and followed him. And then I, I love this too with, with uh, James and John. It says that, so he went to the other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. So there they are, they're working. And it says, and he called them, and, and here it is again, and immediately they left the boat and their father. Bye, pops. See you later. We're forsaking the family business. We're forsaking you and mom. Bye. Off they went. See, when you become a fisher of men, when you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, sometimes it costs something, doesn't it? You guys remember uh, the Apostle Paul when he was getting ready to be scourged? And he says, whoa, 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 I'm a Roman citizen. And the, and the, the centurion looked at him and was like, what? No way. He goes, you know, I'm a citizen. He goes, but I had to purchase it with a lot of money. And, and Paul was like, you know, well, I was born a citizen. I was born a citizen of Rome. And in the same way, we're oftentimes more like the centurion where entering into the kingdom of heaven, becoming a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, oftentimes will cost us something. Many times it'll cost us family members. Almost every time it'll cost us friendships, won't it? Many times it'll cost us dreams and the things that we want, the things that we desire. It'll certainly cost us our life. Jesus himself said, hey, if you try to keep your life, he goes, you're going to lose it. He says, but if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. It costs something to get into the kingdom of heaven, for sure. Absolutely. And these two, these four, actually, all four of them, when the call came, immediately they responded, today is the day. Today is the day. Don't wait for tomorrow. It's today. When you hear that voice of the Lord calling, you need to turn. Otherwise, you'll be more like Herod. The voice of the Lord came. The voice of truth came. It rang in his ears, and and it entertained him for a time. And he was sad to to put John the Baptist to death. We'll see that later. Yet it didn't stop him, did it? It didn't stop him. 
and our hearts can become so hard to the Lord that we would even put to death the truth in our lives. And I've seen it many times where somebody's belief system overruled the truth and they were willing to completely decimate truth in order to continue in their beliefs because their deeds were wicked. So they just changed their beliefs. Easy. Easy. But these, he says, he called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. That's pretty tough, huh? Leaving your dad? Saying, sorry, I'm out of here. That, that girl, Ariel, that, that, I got, that I told you about, that Jewish girl that I got to share with, and by the end of the conversation, she said, yes, I do believe, I know Jesus is the Messiah, but I won't receive him because it'll cost too much. That's what she said. Because my family will disown me, because she was an Orthodox Jew. They, they, they literally, they do, they, they have a funeral service and everything when they do it, right? You're gone. You are dead to the family now. And she says, I know he is. And then the next time she called, she even said, is there any other way? Is Jesus the only way? And I said, yes. And she was grieved because she knew, see, in her heart, she knew, she knew the truth, but because of the cost associated with the truth and life and obedience to her God, she couldn't handle it. She says, I don't want to be a citizen that bad. And to this day, I I pray for her. I pray for Ariel. I hope she's saved. But the last couple of times, it seemed like her heart, her heart was getting harder and harder. Don't wait. And then, verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And I love this. So he goes about all of Galilee. But see, he began first. Number one, he began in Israel. And his fame, when we see in verse 25, it's going to spread into Syria and into all the Gentiles. But he begins with the people of God. He begins with the people who at least culturally are Jews, right? He, he starts with the people who should know better. He starts with the people who have been raised, you know, in their culture, at least to know the truth. Whether they've embraced it or not is completely beside the point, but he begins with the people of God. And so he went about all Galilee, and number one, this is what he starts with, teaching in their synagogues. So he starts in the church, and teaching is different than preaching, right? We see that. First he says teaching, and then the next time he says he's preaching the gospel too, right? The teaching is like point by point. It's having a conversation. It's talking about the ins and the outs. He's, talk, he's literally, he, he's engaging the people. So he's going to the place of learning where people are supposed to be seeking God, and he has a conversation with them about God and about the kingdom of heaven, right? That is where he begins. And then from there, he also preaches the gospel of the kingdom, right? Preaching is a proclamation. That's where you're standing out in the middle of the street and crying out, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he goes, number one, he goes to the synagogues. He comes into the churches. He'd be like the guest speaker. I'd be like, hey guys, everybody stand up and give applause. Here comes Jesus, right? And he comes walking in and he comes and he teaches you and he, and he, he gives you the fuller knowledge, the fuller revelation. He, he, he teaches you. He, he helps you understand the word of God. And that's what he did. But then from here, he goes out. Now, when you go out onto the streets, now you've got a mixed multitude, don't you? Where the kids are right now and Bryson and the other adults that are out there helping them. Right? There's a mixed multitude. They will run across some Christians, some backslidden Christians, some Christians that just went to an earlier service. And then they have people who are absolutely diametrically opposed to the gospel and hate it. And then there's other people who just have never... Do you know here in Southern California, there are people who have never even heard of Jesus Christ? I'm not even joking. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said that he was talking to this guy, and, the, and this kid was calling it when he was reading, he was actually reading the story, and he called it Jesus Christ, because he, he had never heard the name Christ. And so when he was reading it on the page, he's like, who's Jesus Christ? Like, he, he didn't even know. He had no concept, because Jesus has been stripped out of our schools that thoroughly. And he didn't know. So, like, out, out there... Out there, you're not going to like tell people, you know, oh, you know, the perfect will of God and the permissive will. You're not going to get engage in conversation like that out there, are you? No, you're going to proclaim the truth. Jesus has come. He loves you. He died on the cross for your sin. You're going to you're going to proclaim that truth. The kingdom of heaven has come. The gates are open. Enter in. Now is the time of salvation. 
You've heard many evangelists say, the Lord is knocking at the door of your heart. You know, open and he will come in. Right? That's the proclamation. So Jesus did that too. You know, he came into the religious center and he taught. And then he went out onto the streets and he preached. But not only that, he doesn't end there, but it says that, and also, it says that, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. Right? He met their practical needs too. Now, I know in this room, I could probably have, if I opened the floor to everybody, just open the mic, we could probably have a really heated debate on homeless people, couldn't we? We could have a really homeless, do you give them the buck or do you not? Do you give them the dollar or not? You know, most of the time I would have to say I probably don't. But you know what? I've been really challenged. And you guys have already heard this story, but you know, my 10-year-old Trinity, you know what she does? Have you heard the story, the $10? Okay, Heidi pulls up uh, to a street light, and there's a homeless person. And I honestly don't even know if this person is homeless because they have really nice shoes and, and clean pants. So I don't really think they're that homeless. But nevertheless, she pulls up, and Trinity reads the sign and says, Mom, 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 quick, 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 quick. You know, open the window. We need to give him something. And Heidi's like, oh, sweetheart, you know, you don't want to. She goes, no, no. And she goes, I need to give him one of my tracks. I need to give him one of my tracks. And Heidi's like, okay, okay, okay. And so Trinity hands her a track, and then Trinity's fishing through, through her uh, purse, and she opens up her wallet, and she pulls that two $5 bill. She goes, Mom, give this to him also. Give this to him. And Heidi's like, sweetheart, you can't give him $10. He's going to misuse it. He's not going to use it the way, you know, he's going to buy you know, drugs or alcohol or something with this. And Trinity's like, Mom, just give it to him. She goes, but sweetheart, you've been saving that money up. You're trying to buy, I forget what she was trying to buy at that time. She goes, Mom, just give it to him. And so with her track and with her $10, Heidi opens up the window and says, excuse me, my daughter wants to give this to you. And the man came and he said, oh, God bless you. Thank you so much. And then you know, the light turns green and they're on their way. And you know, Trini said, th- this was basically what Trini said. She said, you know, if I just give him my track, he probably won't read it. She goes, but if I give him the money, he might see that it's worth something and he might take the time to read it. And then she says, and how much is a soul worth? How much is a soul worth? See, she was meeting a practical need. Now, he might misuse that. He probably did. You know, he's probably just a panhandler, you know, doing his racket, whatever. But you know what? She, she spoke the truth, but she seasoned it with salt, didn't she? She got something that, that he did want, the $5, the $10. But then she also slipped in. Like, here it is. She, she just slid it in there. He, he's like, oh, what's this? And you know what? He was probably willing to read it. He probably did read it. Guys, we need to teach the gospel. We need to preach to the multitudes. But we also need to be willing to tend to the practical needs of people. And you know, we, we can use this thing, worthless mammon, money. You know, it, it's neither good nor bad. It, it's, it's not evil and it's not, you know, positive. It's not a, this glorious, you know, beautiful, ethical thing. It just is. And you can use it to purchase things for this life or things for the next life. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is full of people wearing camel's hair. Camel's hair is pretty cheap, right? You can get it at thrift markets. That's where most of the stuff from the 70s is, okay? The kingdom of heaven is full of people who are willing to lay aside their own comfort, their own beliefs, in order to Proclaim the truth. Then, verse 24, see how he began teaching and preaching and ministering to the needs? And then there's a then. Then. You, got, you guys want to see revival in our, in our culture? You want to see revival in our church? You want to see people get excited about the cross? You want to see people get excited about the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven? Well, number one, teach the gospel. Teach it to those who already understand it. You guys sitting here, study your Bible, read it, understand it, buy commentaries, listen to Chuck's series, man. If you, if you want just straight through the word, you know, conservative Christianity to its finest, get the 2000 series, 3000 series, 5000, there's a bunch of them, whatever, just, just go through it. I'll tell you what, he'll, he'll give you a, a, a great, hey, here, here, here's a foundation, okay? Learn the Bible, understand it, and then go and proclaim it. Right, that which you have learned, you know, you, you need to apply to your life, and then go proclaim it. 
And not only that, but don't just proclaim it in word, but in deed. Don't just say, hey, God loves you, but show people that God loves you. Right? Don't tell your wife, I love you, honey. Show her that you love her. Wives, don't say, I love you, honey, when? Just kidding. Not really, but kind of. Don't say, I love you. Show them. Anybody here ever watch uh, My Fair Lady? You guys you remember that song when, when Eliza's like sick and tired of talking because Henry Higgins is, he's just always talking, talking, night and day, talking, talking, talking. And then that one guy, Freddie or whatever his name was, came and he's like singing, trying to like sing a romantic song to her. She's like, stop talking. Don't say anything at all. Show me, show me. Well, you know what? The world out there is crying out for people, Christians, to show them the love of God, not just to tell them. Yes, we do need to tell them too. Right? That, that whole concept is a little bit askew where it says you preach the gospel daily and if necessary, share, you know, like speak. See, that, that's not quite right because it's always necessary to speak. It should be and when necessary, like at the proper time, at the right moment. But we always have to share. We always have to proclaim. But that proclamation has to be with a walk. It has to be with a genuine care and concern and love of those people. They need to know that we are loving them, that we are genuinely concerned for them. Anybody here ever heard somebody call and to say, you know, I am so, so concerned for you, right? You, you saw the concern and that concern went deep into your heart and you're just like, oh, wow, they really do love me. Wow. And it moves you. Guys, we've got to show them. And then his fame went out throughout all Syria. That's the Gentile world. Huh. And they brought to him, they, that's the Syrians, brought to him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now look at that. Remember Judea, Jerusalem, those are the people that rejected him initially, right? They rejected the truth. They rejected John the Baptist. So he left them. He walked away from them and he took the gospel to those who would hear and he taught and he preached and he healed. And then his fame went throughout everywhere. It exploded. And then those same people who rejected him before are like, what's going on? And now their ears are attuned and now their minds are sharp and they're like, what's going on here? And they now go and they seek him out. The people who couldn't care less. Remember when he was born and the angels came and the, and the shepherds are preaching, oh, look, the Messiah has come. Oh, look, he's here, he's here, he's here. And those same scribes and those same Pharisees wouldn't walk 20 miles to go see if these things were true. Now people are leaving from Jerusalem and they're traveling all the way to Galilee to find out if these things are true. So see, sometimes we can leave somebody, we can like share the gospel with them and then they don't receive it and we say, okay, and we leave. And then all of a sudden they start seeing things going on. They start hearing things going on and then they go, something's going on. I need to go see what that is. And those same people who were completely unwilling to hear before, now the spirit of God is upon them and now they are moving towards the kingdom of heaven. Guys, but we got to do it with truth. We need to repent. We need to change our minds. We need to think differently. We can't think like wolves. We can't think like people who want to devour. We need to think like Christ who came to die for those whom he loved. And we need to follow him. We need to walk in his ways. And last point, in order to follow Christ, what do you have to do? If you're going to follow anybody, what do you have to do? What do you think, Trent? Listen to them? Absolutely. You need to keep your eyes on them, don't you? How can you follow somebody that you don't see? If your back is turned to somebody, how can you follow them? You can't. I have a great example of it, our dog, Koa. I had to, I had to teach her to, to walk on the leash because she always wanted to pull ahead. And so I taught her to, to train, you know, to, to, to heal. And now when she's walking alongside me, you know what she does? She's always looking at me. She's always looking at me like this because she, she's, she's wanting to make sure I'm not going to change directions again. Like, that's how I trained her. Kept changing directions. And so kept, the leech kept yanking on her. And so she's like, uh, until now she's like all wigged out about it. So now every time somebody, never, every time she's on a leash, she walks slightly ahead of you, but she's always looking back. She's always looking to see where you are because she doesn't want you to change directions. 
And see, we need to be like that with Christ, don't we? If we're going to impact our culture, if we're going to impact this city, we need to always consistently be looking at Christ. We cannot follow him if we're not looking to him. Our eyes need to be fixed on Christ. And when our eyes are fixed on Christ, then we will be able to lead others to Christ. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your gospel, for the kingdom of heaven, Lord, for bringing darkness, Lord, and transforming it into light. Lord, you spoke into the darkness. And though we were in the shadow of death, Lord, you have pulled us from there. Lord, we love you so much and we glorify you. And it is our desire, Lord, to follow after you, Lord, to walk in your steps, Lord, to follow after, to teach and to preach, to heal, to minister. And always, Lord, we need to have our eyes transfixed on you. For you are the light. You are the life. You are the door into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we just pray now that you would be here among us, that you would help us to walk in these truths. We come in Jesus' name. Amen.